Hi, everyone. It is Tom Panos and John McGrath, Million Dollar Agent, the podcast. Johnny, how are you going? Good, Tommy. Last week, yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Last week, I think it was maybe the week before we asked you to listen to it from day one. I think it was like podcast 600. Karen Terry and James Sutton from my office have both said that they reckon they've listened to every episode. So that was that was great to hear. And I'm sure that you and Susan will probably hear from a few other people. But well done. Yeah, we've had a lot. John, it's funny you say that because uh, you did mention it to me the other day and um, I didn't actually chase up Susan, but I did see a heap of other messages come through and, you know, there was quite a few. Ben Ben Veith from Buxton's, sorry, Marshall White, works with uh, works with the uh, the James Tostevin's uh, team there. Um, but it is, look, you know, and, and it's really interesting because, John, it's funny how we were, we were talking about actually taking the podcast to a new level in 2022 um, and changing it up and uh, freshening it up and having a new approach. But what's interesting is even that the person that we um, are talking to, she said to me uh, off camera, you've got to understand one of the great things about podcasts is people got to feel like they're having breakfast with you. Anything that's too rehearsed can sound like an audio book, right? Um, Yeah. So I think I think I I think the fact that we're totally unprepared hasn't ended up being a bad thing. <laughs> we certainly don't. We certainly don't over prepare. We'll never be. Uh, we'll never be accused of over preparing. So uh, well, in the, well, it's funny you say say that about the young guy that works with um, James Toston. What was his name? Ben Beef. So well done, Ben. But uh, I, I reckon that James Tostman has probably been to every Eric front row seat one A. And he's been the top of the top of the Australian real estate tree for most of that period, and yet he keeps backing up, looking for more relationships, more networking, and of course more insight. So success leaves clues. The smart people not only learn it, they keep learning it, relearning it, and so on and so forth. So anyway, I think we've only got a couple to go this year, and then we'll bring back the revised, fresher, fresher version that you that you talk about. But um, I know that I haven't seen it yet, but you were talking about you had a few questions you kind of wanted to throw around today and maybe get some responses from me. So let's get get into it. Yeah, so following up on the total unprepared, un- unprepared approach, this is, this is the king of it. So Tim Ferriss, John, uh, wrote a book, Tribe of Mentors. It came about three, four years ago, or maybe five years ago. And what he did is he asked the same 12 questions, sorry, 11 questions to... 50 great thought leaders and got responses. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't as prepared as Tim Ferriss who gave his, uh, his uh, interviewees enough time to look at them. I'm actually going to read these out to you on the, on the spur of the moment. So if you stutter and you want to pass on any questions because you feel the answer you're going to give is not your best answer, just say pass um, because I haven't... Just to add to that, no, look, that's funny and... and um, a lot of people, you, you'd be the same. Sometimes when you're invited to speak at an event or a Q&A or a session, people say, I'll send you the questions. If you're quite frank, I say, don't send them to me. I don't want to think about them. I just want to ask, answer authentically, honestly, and if I overthink it, I'll try and think of, is that the best response? And I'd rather just give you the real response. So kudos to your potential slight lack of preparation. I don't think that's what it is. I think we just, you know, we, we run with stuff that we know and we feel passionate about. So I'll give you the best answers if I, I can as you give me the questions. Okay. And by the way, audience, I plagiarised these questions of Tim Ferriss. So get the book, 
Um, great book. Here is question number one, John. What are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? I re- oh, okay, good question. Uh, by the way, Tim Ferriss's books are all great. And uh, we had the pleasure of having it at Eric, as you remember, a few years ago. Correct. Um, I would say, come to the early ones, it's funny because I think back to, I'm, I'm on 58 now, so I'm thinking back to 40-odd years ago when I was a teenager and I was kind of struggling to, to get ahead. And I read Think and Grow Rich. That was definitely, even though it's 40 years later, I did read it several times, but haven't for a long time. I reckon Think and Grow Rich was one of the earliest and the best by uh, uh, Napoleon Hill. And then um, also... Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. In fact, we had Covey also present to us at, at ARIC. I'd say Seven Habits was is one that sticks in my mind as having a massive impact. Um, Unleash, I think it was called Unleash the Giant Within, Tony Robbins. That was a big impact book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I'm just you know, going from the gut here, so if I make any mistakes in the, in the headings, I'm sure if you Google them, if you're interested, you'll find them. And the last one is probably the most, well, not the most recent, but a more recent edition is Principles by Ray Dalio. He's a guy a lot of people haven't heard. He's not a speaker. He's not a seminar guy. He's a, one of the wealthiest people in the world, but he's written this incredible book about how he runs his business and how he runs his life. Uh, we should actually try and get him for Eric one day. He'd be a sensational addition to the speaking lineup. So I reckon there's, there's three or four that are books that I probably read 40 years ago and there's one that I read more recently that have made the greatest impact. Okay, interesting. Hey, so, John, the, the first, all of them apart from Ray Dalio, are all timeless pieces that if you read them today, um, you'd probably get the same wisdom as when they were written, what, some of these are 50, 80 years ago. I think and Grow Rich yeah. is, uh, is a book that's, you know, I reckon it was uh, 20, it might have been the 1920s. I think that was written, so that's probably 100 years ago. How to Win Friends and Influence People would probably be in the 50s or 60s, I reckon. Um, And I think Stephen Covey's Seven Habits was probably 70s, thereabouts. Tony Robbins uh, was probably his first book was probably early 80s. And Ray Dalio's a recent one. Um, Tim's book again, you know, I can't go without without mentioning that again. Um, So, yeah, all, all good stuff. But at the end of the day, I think I've really picked up a book and skimmed it or, in fact, read it cover to cover without picking up some stuff that's life-changing. So get into the book reading. Okay. Question two. What purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in recent memory? Now, if you want to spend $150, John, or anywhere near that, um, what are you thinking? Any purchase around that price? What I'm saying is, yeah, what, what, what hasn't cost you much money has made a difference. I, not just recently, but yes, definitely including recently, Tommy, and I don't want to sound glib here, but whenever I've bought someone I really like and respect and look up to breakfast, lunch, or coffee, costs you 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks. And I've got to tell you, some of the greatest life changing events have come from napkins where I've written notes, taken notes, and I've walked away, not just with a few good insights, but with the feeling. That's, I think, when you meet people who have achieved great things, it's it's kind of by osmosis, observing who they are and how they are and how they treat people. And so I, I reckon if I had 100 bucks and you said, how can I turn this into a million? I'd be saying get in front of the three people that are the most successful you can get access to and buy each and every one of them lunch or uh, or breakfast, you know, 20 or 30 bucks, buy them a sandwich and a coffee and just say to them, tell me how you've achieved so much. What can you share with me? And I reckon that would be the best way I have, and I would spend 100 bucks. 
Gold. That's a great answer. That came out of, uh, I wasn't thinking, I thought you were going to turn around and say something like, uh, you know, a, a Blinker subscription where you read audiobooks or a Google Chromecast or something. But that's, I know, I was, I was thinking to myself, what's he going to answer here? That one got me by surprise, but it's a good answer. Number three, how has a failure set you up for later success? Oh, I think, I, I think, you know, look, I've got a bit of, you know, what I would now call a stoic philosophy, but when I, I probably started thinking like this. It wasn't stoic. It was just kind of what mindset is going to, you know, get me the most. I mean, Ryan Holiday from last year's Eric says, you know, the obstacle is the way. The path to success is by um, not avoiding obstacles, but encountering them head on and rising to the to the challenge. So um, I, I'm a great believer in that. I do remember one thing that sticks out in my mind is when I started my business. So for whether you're a principal or an agent who's starting to build up a business. I remember the early days, I went to the NAR conference in San Francisco and I was over there and my accountant rang me and I had a small staff then. I probably had maybe 10, 10 staff, relatively small. And he said, we got a problem. His name was Stephen Jones, great guy, Northern Beaches accountant. He said, we got a problem. He said, I don't think we'll make wages this week. And I'm thinking, my God, if I don't make wages, that'll be the end of the business. Staff will leave, word will get out. No one will want to list with us. No one will want to work with us anyway. Uh, I basically jumped on a plane the next day or at the end of the next day, I, I cut the, the the event short, came back, had to sell a property. Um, I, and, and what did I learn? I learned that if you're going to take on being a business person, you've got to be serious. You've got to realise that being a salesperson doesn't cut it. You need to, to, to learn how to run a business. You need to understand cash flow, not just profit and loss, but cash flow as well. And I remember that. And as horrific it was at the time, and I still got kind of knots in my stomach as I tell the story and think about it. Um, it was a, just a great lesson. So, and there's been, you know, there's been thousands since then. I mean, we make I make mistakes weekly or monthly all the time, but I reckon that was the one that stands out for me that gave me a shock to the system that says, get your act together. You gotta, you gotta get on top of this, or you're not gonna have a business. And then I think, you know, sliding doors. Had I not got my act together and had I not learnt the the power of cash flow and the power of, you know, understanding a, a balance sheet and profit and loss, probably would have never maintained a business and probably life would have been very different. So um, absolutely great believer in um, seizing every opportunity, even the bad ones, to, to make them life-changing experiences. Beautiful. Question number four. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Um, so I'm going to switch it also. I'm going to say billboard slash tombstone because I often have been asked something like, you know, what would you love people to think about you after you're gone or, or um, put on your tombstone? And, and I guess the thing that comes to mind for me is something like uh, he made a difference. And every day in every conversation I try and make a difference Every podcast, try and make a difference. Every phone call, every email, every coaching session, every cup of coffee. And I'd love to think that uh, when I'm gone or as I'm going, people will say, you know, I came across his path. Uh, he was generous. He, he shared his ideas. He was encouraging and he made a difference to my life. That would be the greatest thing. So I'm not sure. I don't want to say it like a billboard, like a skiting sort of thing, because it's not what it's about. I just, that's why I've kind of morphed that question into a tombstone, because I'd like that to be something people would remember after I'm gone. Well, I think you've definitely done that, John. Even people that compete against you now that used to work for you, uh, i.e. the, you know, Shannon Whitney's and that, they've all said it to me. I've got relationships with them and I do work with them. And, um, you know, quite often they spent the first part of their life 
of their real estate life working with you. And John, they all say the same thing. So I think uh, uh, you're definitely on the way. If, if, if you look, if you had that on your tombstone, no one I think would say, where did that come from? I think uh, you should be really happy with that, John. Um, let's move on. The next question, what unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? An unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? I can, I, I can tell you, I'll just to, you can hear me there, John? Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I can, I can, I can tell you that uh, uh, for those of you that are listening, one of the things is, um, and that may have changed now, John, but I remember sitting there at Noosa one afternoon, one evening when we were going to have the dinner and uh, we skipped the entrees because you wanted to have an early meal and we were sitting there, it was around quarter to six in the evening. So I know mm. I know that early dinners are a big thing. Is it still the same? Yeah, yeah it's funny as you say that. You, you've almost nailed my initial instinct because when, when, when you ask the question, I'm thinking through a typical day slash week for me. And I'm thinking, is there anything in it? I don't think there's anything in it would be called absurd, but maybe uh, slightly different. Yes, I go to bed early. So my sort of day starts the night before. So I like going to bed early, like 8.30, get to sleep by 9. You know, I'm up early, so I figure going to bed early. That's one. I don't, I've never drunk in my life. That's probably slightly at the unusual end of the scale. I don't drink alcohol or party or do drugs, again, I've just found that, well, I haven't found, I haven't tried them, but I've just made the decision that that wasn't the sort of sort of things that I wanted to do. So um, I guess early to bed, um, don't drink alcohol, which is kind of a help when you do that. Get up early, that's not absurd. Shower power, so I learned years ago from Tony Robbins. So I, I have, you know, goals and quotes and things um, uh, laminated and I pop them on the wall of the shower often to kind of read through and remind me of, things that are important. I listen to audio in the shower. So I've got a suction cup on my shower wall and I, I pop in a podcast. You know, I often listen to Ryan Holiday, Daily Stoic, those things. Pop them uh, on the wall of the shower. Um, so I read stuff off the laminated sheets. I listen to things. Um, uh, other than that, no, yeah, look, I am pretty antisocial. Some people would see that's absurd. I just like getting home at the end of the day, not too late. And Sort of hanging out with Kelly and Snitzel and going for a walk. So I'm probably at the antisocial end of the scale, which for a lot of people in real estate would be slightly unusual. So I don't think there's anything bizarre or absurd, but I, I think I looked many years ago, Tommy, and I know you're like me, like this. I just kind of, there was a point in my life, I don't remember exactly when, but I reckon it was probably in my mid 30s, where I just decided I was not going to be, do, or act in any way other than the real me, how I. So if people say, do you want to come to the art gallery opening tonight? I'd say, thanks very much. I won't be able to make it. Versus, you know, before I'd say yes, then I'd try and find a way out and then I'd regret it and I might go and I'd regret that. And so I think I think as you get a little bit older, and not that mid-30s is old, but I think as you get older, you start realising that, you know, life is finite and you better be doing the things that really light you up in a way that you're authentically passionate about. Don't try and do things to please others. Hopefully what you do will make others feel good. As I said, I'd like to make a difference, but don't do it for that reason. I actually got to say, John, I picked up that habit from you over the years because I'm I'm one of these people that would actually say no to something, but then I would say I'd give them, I'd come up with an excuse. And that often, John, when you come up with an excuse, the person that you give the excuse to tries to look at a solution to the excuse, right? So then all of a sudden you say, oh, like I can't make it at 
you know, I've got I've got an appointment at eight o'clock. Well, why don't you just come from six to eight then, right? And then you're so then I just learned just to clean. No, it's not going to work, you know. Um, and um, yeah, um, Johnny, I'm I'm looking at it. We got another set. We got another seven to go. Uh, I'll be faster. I'll be faster. We'll get through. Them. Okay. In the last five years, I would ask, what advice? Oh, this one's a good one. I want to see your response to this one. What advice would you give to a smart, driven uni student about to enter the real world? What advice should they ignore? This is a good one. Uh, so what what should what would I say to them? Um, so I guess what would I say to myself if I could go back 40 years? I'd say think bigger. And don't listen to the people that will try inevitably to bring your thinking down to their level or below because inevitably people, often people, not everyone, that's a bad thing to say, a lot of people will try and bring you down because they haven't aspired to much and they get jealous if you do. So I reckon even though some people say I've done well in the real estate world and I appreciate that and, and I guess I have in some ways, but I also think I would have thought a lot bigger a lot earlier I kind of listened to a lot of people that were telling me reasons I couldn't do stuff and I probably hung under that a bit long so I'd say think as big as you can um, become the person you need to become to make that a reality anything's possible um, extreme ownership which is kind of one of my key things that I talk to people in coaching about extreme ownership which means make zero excuses just if it doesn't work out the way, own, own the result and just alter your your course. So I reckon that'd be a few things I'd be saying to myself or to anyone else that's at the sort of beginning of their life. Beautiful. I noticed I missed question number seven, so I'm going to read it out now. In the last five years, what new belief, behaviour or habit has most improved your life? Last five years. Uh, geez, that's a bloody good one because uh, a lot of the things that I've been doing to be quite honest, for a lot longer than five years, like meditation and exercise and you know, eating well and those sort of things, you know, they fortunately they go about longer than that. Um, it's going to sound a bit glib, but you know, probably podcasts to me, and I know we're kind of doing one, which seems bizarre, but listening to podcasts, not not listening to the radio. If you if you turn off two GB or three AW, what you listen to, and actually listen, and I guess we're talking to the right audience here because they're listening to us, but listen to podcasts and. And um, you know, you you and I probably should share on your um, on your gym website, Tommy, some of our favourite podcasts outside of this one. And and thank everyone for your listening favorite, to this. What are you listening to now? Or what one comes to mind, John, that you've really liked? I mean, I got to tell you, I go, I, I I I seem to use all your recommendations, and I binge on them, and then I stop listening to them, and then I accidentally yeah. hear, hear it again. So. Uh, James Alvichel was one. You've heard some of these, but for other people, um, business people, which is kind of everyone, Masters of Scale, um, that's a really good one, a guy called Reid Hoffman. I think he started LinkedIn. He was a founder and CEO. That's a really good one. Uh, James Altucher, I know you and I sort of like him. He's zany, wacky, he's authentic, um, and he's real. He talks about a lot of stuff. Uh, I love Seth Godden. He's got a good one called Akimbo. That's really good. One recently I've just started listening to, and I haven't shared this one with you, so I'd love you to download it too, Professor Scott Galloway. Um, someone put me onto him, and whoever it is, I'm sorry because I should credit you, but I forgot who it was. Oh, it was Graham Mirabito, you know, our friend Graham Yes, Mirabito. yes, yes, yes. Of CoreLogic, and Graham, I was talking to him. We had breakfast about a week ago, talking about having breakfast with smart people. There you go. Um, and he, he mentioned Scott Galloway and I said, who's he? He said, man, you've got to listen to his podcast. It's outstanding. And, and I've, I 
every day since then I've been listening to it. So I'd, I'd add him to the mix. Okay. Going to listen. I'm going to download that one, Johnny. Now, next one. What are bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise? I've got to hand it to Tim Ferriss. These are actually very good questions, John, you know? Yeah, good question. What bad recommendations do you hear in your profession or area of expertise? It's so much better because of people like you, Tommy, and Josh Fegan and you know, Mike Sheagold. Yeah. There's some great, great coaches around that are eradicating the bad stuff. But, yeah, probably a little bit earlier, it still exists a bit, but, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, tell vendors whatever they want to hear to get the listing type of thing. And I just think, man, that's just just be authentically honest and find a way to tell the truth and get the listing. Don't, don't lie and get the listing. That's bad. Um don't think because you have to tell the truth that you're going to miss the listing. You know, there is a, there is an expertise and a, a way you can navigate through and not take away someone's hope of an extraordinary result or a superior result, but also not commit yourself to a figure that that you may or may not be able to achieve. So I think it's probably those things. I mean, I, you remember the old days, Tommy, they'd say buyers are liars. You know, don't listen to buyers. Yeah. Well, and seriously, buyers want to work with agents that talk straight and can help them achieve their goal of owning a home. So build real connection, be authentic, ask better questions. Um, so I think I don't hear many things nowadays, but they, they're some of the, the remnants from the past that probably exist. They, they probably still exist. I don't think they're taught as much nowadays. Yeah, one of the most appalling of all, I heard it on an ABC show two weeks ago. They were talking about auctions and underquoting is uh, quote them low, watch them go, quote them high, watch them die. Absolutely appalling, you know, absolutely yeah, appalling. That's all silly stuff. And thank God, courtesy of some great coaching, the industry seems to have moved on from that. However, there's still a bit of it around, so hopefully none of your gym members or our listeners uh, participate no. with that rubbish. Okay. okay last, last two. Last two. In the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to? Example, distractions, invitations. That's funny. We talked about that then. But what new realizations or approaches have helped? Any other tips? So really, John, the question is, in the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to? Yeah, again, I reckon it goes back beyond five, Tommy, because I've been pretty good at saying no. And and it's it's interesting because and by the way, I'm not saying, you know, be, be the Grinch and say no to everything. If you're passionate about going to a cocktail function and art gallery opens, go. But but make sure it's something you're doing because you're passionate and you love it and you want to network or see beautiful artwork or whatever. Don't do it because you feel that you can't say no. So I think I got pretty good at saying no to everything um, that I don't love. So that just leaves either time for you to recharge or time for you to do things you love with people you love. So, yeah, so I love, you know, going out to early dinners with a few close friends and having nice food and still being home by 8 o'clock and getting a good night's sleep. So I think I reckon it, it preceded the five-year limit, but I think it's probably a strength of mine, not a weakness. And I guess I just got over this feeling of guilt when someone said, you know, really, I'd love you to come to such and such an event. And if you get over the guild, and I, I say, look, thank you so much. It sounds like it's going to be an awesome event. It would be really great. Uh, it's not something I can attend, but thank you for the invitation. And, you know, I'll say it verbally. I'll say it in text. I'll say it in email, depending how I get invited. And um, people, they kind of, it's funny, in the early days, I used to always say yes because I was, check this out for a ridiculous thing, I was scared people would stop asking me the things I didn't want to go to. And I thought, that's just, 
Man, that is just insecurity. Oh, well, I'll get off the list of people that get invited to art galleries. Man, you don't want to be on the list. So I just say no, and eventually they'll get the message. And, again, I never say it with arrogance. I never say it with indignant indignance. I, I just some people love going to dinners and functions and black tie events and stuff and uh, and barbecues and other people like doing other things that are kind of more isolated and, and so forth. So I think I'm pretty good at that. Okay. Last question. When you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or have lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? Uh, so breathe deep. Don't panic. Um, go depending on what it is. But, you know, I remember um, Jeff Jowett years ago, he said something good. He said uh, process overcomes or, or pro- process eradicates overwhelm. So just go back to the process. What do we have to do here? Um, take it a step at a time. So I think that's it. And then uh, the other one is just thinking bigger. Like at the end of the day, most of the things that distract us or worry us or stress us, if you're thinking bigger about, you know, a bigger picture for yourself, a bigger role you want to play in society, more value you want to add, these little things, they actually sort of pale into insignificance and they become minor irritants that you don't focus on. I think it's when you're thinking small, these things become large and dramatic. So, uh, yeah, I, I reckon that's probably that's probably it. I go back to process and work out what do I need to do? Is there a solution? Yes, no. If yes, do it. If no, just move on and just accept that it wasn't the greatest outcome. So I reckon that'd be the thing for me. Great questions. I really, I, what book was that in, Tommy? Was that in his tribal? Um... It, it's Tribe of Mentors. So the, John, the, the, whole, the whole book, Tribe of Mentors, is these same 11 questions to 50 thought leaders. Um, and um, I, I remember reading them, you know, it came out just like good business books often come out just before the Christmas holidays because yeah. they're a great time to be reading um, uh, when you've got a bit more time than normal. And I remember reading this book in uh, in Queensland and I couldn't let it go. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated to think how people think, even some of the, the small stuff. So um, I might actually even uh, relook at that book because I've actually, it's a nice thick book and I know exactly where it is at, at my home. John McGrath answering tribal mentors. No, no, that's it. It's 11 questions. No, I mean, have we got one podcast to do before year end? We're going to do one. Oh, have we got one? Have have we? uh, I think think we've we've definitely got one. We've definitely got one. I'm thinking whether we should actually do two. We've definitely got one. um, And we may do two. Uh, We'll just keep going the way we do. Yeah, we won't wish everyone well yet for Christmas because there's plenty of time to be listing, selling and enjoying each other's company between now and then. But we'll be back for at least another one, maybe two, and then we'll uh, we'll sort of uh, finish up for the year. John McGrath, thank you so much. To all our listeners, don't forget there's still plenty of time to actually sell. Some people, John, are listing and selling at the same time, right? They're, you know, some people are actually bringing, doing shorter campaigns on a few property. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, here's what you can do. Here's what you can do. You can list a property tomorrow, sell it, and then list the buyer's property and sell it before Christmas, no doubt. So don't think it's it's up for the year. And some people are saying, oh, there's a lot more stock. Man, that's a great problem to have, right? Get into yes. the stock, get the buyers through it, and people say, oh, well, the buyers are less less uh, urgent than they were. doesn't matter. Just if the, if the buyers are out there buying, responding to your calls, turning up, up at opens, they want to buy. So help them achieve the goal before Christmas. John, I had the classic of all comments was yesterday. I was doing a webinar with a Melbourne uh, company and one of the guys said, 
mate, I'm just really tired. It's been a long year. And one of his colleagues said, how's that possible? We were off work for six months in lockdown. <laughs> Touche. Well done. All righty. Thanks a lot. Right, See you, Johnny. Bye. See you next week. Bye.